in our scripture reading this morning, as we read in Matthew, we read about the raising of one, one person from the dead. And this morning, uh, for our sermon, we're going to be reading a long passage from the book of John. John chapter 11, we're going to read most of the chapter. We're going to read all the way to verse 44. And in this passage, we get the story of Lazarus. So another, another story where Jesus raises somebody from the dead. So we're going to read about the death as well as the resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus raised several people from the dead during his ministry on earth. But this is the only one who we are told was a friend of his. And so what I want you to notice is uh, how Jesus is, he's close to Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, and he's close to Lazarus, and you see that he's not somehow different than us, and yet his reaction, his responses are different than ours. And what we see is, we see ourselves in the disciples. And that's what we're going to be looking at. I want you to notice, especially, the disciples. And think about how you're like them. We are like them in a lot of ways. And generally, when we find that we're like the disciples, it's not, it's not a flattering comparison, is it? Because you read through the New Testament, you read about... So you read through the Gospels and you read about the Apostles and it's always like, well, what were they thinking? Well, this time, it's not even so much what were they thinking. We're like, I know exactly what they were thinking. They are fearful. That's what they're thinking. And so they're resistant to Jesus doing the work that he's been called to do. They're resistant to going with him as he goes to do that work. And the reason for this, of course, is because it involves Jesus going back right where people were just trying to kill him. That's what we saw at the end of chapter 10. And Jesus left and was hiding away outside of Judea. And then, as we'll see, he's going to return back into uh, back into Judea, right right near Jerusalem again. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. 
Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. This he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. The disciples then said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus then said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary stayed at the house. Martha then said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews were saying, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? So Jesus, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. 
Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. The man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them the things which Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there's a lot of things, this is a long passage, there's a lot of things that I'd love to spend time on. We'll see, this won't be our only week on this passage, um, <clears throat> but did you notice that little, uh, that little question that the people asked? They said, you know, could not this man, verse 37, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man also from dying? It reminds me of a little, uh, little. Uh, I think it was probably on Facebook that I saw it. Some somebody asking about uh, why you don't see people like Benny Hinn in children's hospitals. Have you guys seen this? I mean. People like Benny Hinn who claim that they, they're, they're healers, right? <clears throat> that they can heal. So, so why don't they go into children's hospitals and heal all those kids? Well, of course, the answer is because they can't heal, right? We know that's why the... Uh, I, I want to say this, this picture that I saw had the, you know, a, a different answer. It said for the same reason that, um, for the same reason that uh, you don't see fortune tellers making millions on the, uh, on the lottery or in the stock market or, or whatever, right? <clears throat> um, it's because they're frauds. And yet, the reason I wanted to read this whole story, even though it's very long, is because it becomes very clear that Jesus is not a fraud, right? Now, of course, we would never here be so gauche as to think that Jesus was a fraud. After all, we're sitting in church, right? But note that the temptations that we have are the same, are the same types of temptations that the people in this passage have. 
And so the question that they ask is actually very similar to the question that the disciples ask early on. The disciples say, uh, are you, well, let's see, verse 7, Jesus says, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, verse 8, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? What that question implies is the exact same thing that the, that the question of the people saying, couldn't this man who opened the eyes of the blind have prevented this man from dying? Those questions are the same at their core. Okay? At their core, those questions indicate a lack of belief, right? They indicate a lack of trust that Jesus can actually do what he claims he can do. A lack of trust that he is who he claims to be. And so when near the end <clears throat> Jesus prays, and he prays uh, in a way that we ought never to pray for other people's benefit, you know, I'm not, really, I'm not really so much praying to you, God, as I am teaching them while I'm praying. This is something that, that we don't want to find ourselves doing. But Jesus prays this way, right? He says in his prayer, um, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it so that they may believe that you sent me. So that they may believe that you sent me. So again, this, this theme of John comes out strong, that he's writing, this, he's writing all of this down so that we may believe and that believing we may have life in his name. So Jesus is ready uh, to go back into Judea and the disciples are not ready. And the reason the disciples are not ready to go back into Judea is because they're scared. This isn't hard to understand, right? They're afraid of what's going to happen. And in particular, they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. They, they're afraid of what will happen to Jesus, but then the ramifications from that are what will happen to them. Now Jesus' work is good. Jesus' work is, in this passage, right, it is this strange delaying where he is and not going back, and then going back to where there's danger for him and his disciples, and then raising Lazarus from the dead. This is, this is all part of his work, and it's all meant to demonstrate the glory of God, to bring glory to God's name, by bringing glory to himself. Right there at the beginning, we see Jesus explaining this whole passage when he says, 
This sickness is not to end in death, verse 4, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. So he is looking by everything that he does here to bring glory to himself. So that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And he says that this is actually why Lazarus got sick. Now, the sovereignty of God is so central to that idea we, that we, we're quick to miss it. It's just, but it's just buried so deep. There's no avoiding it. There, it's impossible to explain this without seeing that Lazarus got sick specifically by the will of God so that God could glorify himself. Right? And not just that Lazarus got sick, but died, right? This, of course, is exactly what uh, Joel Osteen and Joyce Myers can never make sense of, this sort of thing, right? And so they end up, because <clears throat> they can't conceive of it being a good thing for, for anybody to suffer in any way, all right? They end up, therefore, denying the sovereignty of God. They have to. Right? But God is sovereign, and he decided that Lazarus was going to get sick. He decided that Lazarus was going to die. And the goal wasn't death. Right? The goal was that he would be glorified. And interestingly, it's not just that the goal wasn't death, it's that the outcome ultimately wasn't going to be death even. The way that he was going to bring himself glory was by undoing death, by, by raising Lazarus up from the dead. What a miracle. You think of things that have happened in your life that are amazing. And I'm sure all of you have had some amazing things happen to you. But none of them are going to come close to somebody coming back from the dead, right? Out of the tomb. After they've been planted in the ground by faith. For them to, to rise up again. Would truly be shocking. Truly be amazing. And that's what we have here. The work is so good that Jesus is doing. It's so beautiful. But part of the reason that it's so good and so beautiful is because it brings glory to God. Right? Here we are. It's Halloween. Almost. Right? You look around. The decorations are everywhere. You drive through our neighborhood and it's creepy. All right, and why is it creepy? What is creepy about Halloween? At least around here. I don't know if it's like this everywhere, but man, is it around here. It's this obsession with death, right? It's, it's disturbing. 
one of the uh, one of the houses in our neighborhood has a giant 20-foot demon hanging in a tree. Uh, another one has a uh, they built a carriage and have a hearse in it and skeletons driving and, and everything. Um, it's uh, Maybe it's just my neighborhood, I don't know. You guys maybe live in st less strange neighborhoods than me. Um, but, but it's not just my neighborhood. <laughs> Even if your neighborhood doesn't go all out in the decorations like mine does, you go to the... Uh, you know, if you were if you wanted to go play laser tag, it's haunted. If if you wanna if you want to go um, to Kings Island, it's haunted, right? Uh, and and so death plays a central role in the celebration of Halloween. But the creepiest thing that can possibly happen. It's in it's in the movies. It's in it's in the uh, it's in the stories. The creepiest thing, the one thing that you don't ever want to happen, the worst thing, the bad thing, would be for someone who is dead to come back. Right? That's scary. That's the that's the scary part of Halloween, and and so coming back is not in and of itself good, is it? And yet what Jesus does here is not creepy and scary, but good. So there's this contrast between the two, the, 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 the two ways of looking at somebody coming back, right? There's a bad there's, there's a bad coming back that's creepy and scary that we don't like. Where you've got ghosts and you've got, you've got them, you know, the undead. And then you've got not the undead, but the newly living, the re-living. And there's a, there's a big difference between the undead and the newly living again, isn't there? And the difference is good for the newly living and bad for the undead. Now, why do I spend all this time talking about Halloween and death and, and the undead and everything? Well, because it's important that we see how clearly good what Jesus is doing is. It's very good what he's doing. This is, not, this is not some creepy, scary, magical power thing where you raise up your undead army and control them and make zombies, right? This is something that is beautiful and good and true. Lazarus' life is returned to him, and he is given more time here on earth, with his family, his, his sisters are, receive him back. They receive him back whole, not corrupted by death. They receive him back good. In other words, 
when Jesus glorifies himself and the Father in this passage, he glorifies himself by totally defeating death. Not just partly defeating death. And so, one of, the, one of the things that's good about Halloween, actually, is that you're, re, you're reminded that death is an enemy, that death is bad. That's good for us to remember. And it's especially good for us to remember in a culture that is uh, inclined to pretend the opposite. You know, when just last week uh, I took Tate and Moses to a funeral and it was, it was very sweet. It was the funeral of a Christian man and, uh, and so as Christians we don't mourn as those who have no hope, right? We look forward with hope to the resurrection, to the completion of this work that Jesus demonstrated his power to accomplish in our passage today. But we are to mourn. We are actually to mourn, to be sad, to have sorrow when people die. Not pretend like it's just a good thing. It's not just a good thing. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't just ignore the fact that death happened by having a celebration of life, right? What is a celebration of life? It's a, let's all get drunk so that we can forget the fact that we're mortal. And, and, and sometimes it's drunk literally and sometimes it's drunk on, on emotions and, and laughter and other things. But death is sad. We are to mourn. And we're to remember that death is an enemy. And even though the, the obsession with death that we have as a culture comes out especially around the time of Halloween, there's still no avoiding the truth. It's, it's everywhere you look. The people who are most obsessed, who most celebrate, death. You look at their decorations and you can't help but know death is bad. Death is an enemy. Death is something I don't want to face, right? And so then you think about the disciples. And the disciples, what they, what they are afraid of is death. So I get, I, here I go, I, I tell you death is an enemy, you're to mourn, you're, and in a sense you're, you're thinking, yeah, I, I fear death. Isn't that right? That's what, that's what we should 
have. We shouldn't treat it the way our culture does, but we should fear it. And, and so the disciples were the smart ones in this passage. When they were trying to convince Jesus not to go back to Judea, no, the disciples weren't the smart ones. And the reason the disciples weren't the smart ones is because Jesus, as he explains to them, there are 12 hours in the day. Now, that doesn't sound like much of an explanation uh, on its surface, right? I mean, at face value, if I say to you, there's nothing to be afraid of, there's 12 hours in the day, like, how does that help, right? He goes on, it may help if I read the rest of it. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, if you've been here, you know that this, uh, this discussion of light here is not the first time that John's brought it up, right? So if you're reading through the book of John and you come to this passage, you've got to, you've got to remember what's come prior. What came before this when Jesus was talking about the light of the world is a claim that he made about himself, and that claim was that he is the light of the world. Right? He is the light of the world. And so when he says there's 12 hours in the day, he's saying to them, hey, you're with me. (laughs) You're with me. There's nothing to be scared of. And the disciples, of course, are thinking, but they're going to kill you. And then what happens to us? And you go into the rest of the chapter, and what do you see? You see Jesus isn't scared of death. And the reason Jesus isn't scared of death is why? Because he has power even over death. And so death is absolutely an enemy. And yet death is nothing for us to fear because we have Jesus Christ. Death is the final enemy. But if we have Jesus Christ, we walk without fear. Now, fear takes various forms. It's not just fear of death that we struggle with, right? We also struggle with all the other, all the other temptations in, in, of, of running away from enemies. Thomas Thomas doesn't really have hope when he says, all right, well, 
let's go with him and we can all die too. Right? Is that, is that the message that we get from this passage? That it's, that, well, you know, the life of a Christian is really hard and, and yeah, you know, it's probably just going to, Probably just going to end bad, but but we'll stick we'll we'll, we'll stick through it, and uh, we'll we'll make it through, and we'll die, and that'll be that. No, that's not faith, is it? Thomas isn't right to say, "All right, well, let's all let's all go along and die," because that's. That's still a denial of the power that Jesus has over death. That's still disbelieving. Jesus' work is good. But Jesus' work is also dangerous, isn't it? It's also dangerous. The Jews were just trying to kill him. And so the disciples look at the work that Jesus is about to go do, and they don't know exactly what he's doing, but you know, they, they've been around Jesus long enough to know that his work is good. And that's why they say, all right, fine, even though it looks like you're about to go die, and you know, I guess we'll go with you because it's good because they see the danger. So they see that his work is good, they see the danger of his work, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to go along. Why are they going to go along? Well, because they're his disciples. The choice is be a disciple or don't be a disciple. But there's, there's no choice for them. They are his disciples, right? Be his disciple be with him. Be his disciple. Go where he goes. Learn from what he says. Do what he does. Or reject him and flee. Those are the choices that are before them. Well, they're his disciples, so they're going with him. But that's not enough, is it? When Thomas says, let's go and die with him, that's not enough. So when Jesus says there are 12 hours of daylight, he's speaking to the disciples, but he's also speaking to us. There is no need for us to fear. There's no need for us to fear, particularly when we are doing Jesus' work. There's no need to fear when we have Jesus with us. Now, when do you have Jesus with you? Of course, good catechism answer is that always, right? But you also have Jesus talking about the night don't you? Yeah. 
Verse 10, but if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So, I put it before you. Have you walked in the night as well as in the light? I'm sure you can all talk about times when you did not have the light in you. And so what you were doing was in darkness and it caused you to stumble, right? You read this one more time, verses 9 and 10. Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This is Jesus' answer to our fear. Okay? This is his answer that he gives to the disciples. If you walk in the light, you won't stumble because you've got the light. But if you walk in the dark, you're going to trip because you don't have the light. Now, the reason that he says this to the disciples is, again, as I've said, because he's with them. They have the light. And yet, even as they walk with him, they're stumbling, aren't they? Because they aren't walking by faith. And so, what Jesus is, what Jesus is laying before them is two kinds of, two kinds of work. The work of darkness and the work of light. And what he's saying is, as long as you are doing the work of light, there is nothing to be afraid of. But as soon as you're doing the deeds of darkness, of of course you're going to be afraid. You ought to be afraid because what's going to happen? You're going to trip and stumble. Now, if if you just think about the actual image that he's laying for you, you know, describing, it's, it's obvious. If I told you to, when you get home, open the front door and run as fast as you can to your bedroom, that would be very easy. Nobody would be afraid to do that. But if I had you blindfolded first and said, all right, now run as fast as you can to your bedroom, I mean, how many of you are going to do that? None of you are, Right? And why aren't you going to do that? Because you would be afraid. And the reason you would be afraid is because you can't see. Because it's all dark, because you're blindfolded. This is what being in the light versus being in the darkness does for us. So it's, it's that simple for us to understand the physical reality of light and darkness But it's also just that simple for us to understand the spiritual reality that Jesus is talking about, okay? It's simple enough for you kids to understand. You know what it means to be running around in the light versus to be running around in the dark. 
You know that there's danger and therefore fear when you're running around in the dark. It's the same with the spiritual reality of light and darkness. That if you walk in the light, and to walk in the light is simply to do the deeds of Jesus Christ. Okay? If you walk in the light, you have nothing to be afraid of. Now, you're going to be tempted by all kinds of fears, just like the disciples here. You're going to be tempted to be like, well, if I do what's good, then there's going to be this bad thing that happens. Do you have a question? <laughs> she was raising her hand, sorry. <laughs> if, you, if you're walking... If you're walking in the light, if you're doing this good thing, if you're doing the, the good thing that Jesus has called you to do, okay, there will be the, the temptation to be afraid. If it's not the fear especially of death coming, all right, it will be some other fear. Because remember, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so you think, this bad thing will come to me when I do good. And immediately there's a temptation there to fear, right? What are the kind of bad things that happened? Well, um, yesterday I had, I, had this, uh, I had this happen to me. I was at Starbucks and I ran into a guy who I had met a couple weeks earlier and I had given him my card and he had emailed me and he'd written this long email and I, it was just one of these things where I, I intended to respond but I didn't and I could explain to you all the reasons why I had that I didn't respond but then I see him again yesterday right and so I, I apologize for not responding. And he says, oh, it's all right. I assume you've got a lot of other things going on. I assume you've got another job that you're having to work to keep, you know, uh, that, that basically that, you're, that you've got two full-time jobs going on. Now, right there, I face a temptation. Why do I face a temptation right there? Can any of you figure it out? What do I want to say? I want to say, yeah, yeah. I just want to agree with him and let his, he's, he's, already, he's already got a perfect excuse laid out for me for why I haven't responded to his email. And that would just be very nice to just let him run with that excuse and believe that, and, and that would be me lying, right? Why do I want to do that? Well, listen, that is the reason I don't, the reason I don't want to walk in the light right then is because I don't want for him to hate me. Now you say, well, really seriously, hate you for just delaying a little bit and responding to an email? Or 
hate you? Who cares? You've, you've only met him once before, you know? All of these reasons why you, could, why you could very easily explain to me why there's nothing for me to be afraid of, and I say, ah, well, fine. There's nothing for me to be afraid of, and yet I was afraid. That's the temptation. That's my point, right? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid that something bad is going to happen to me or, more importantly, to the work of Jesus Christ in the city of Cincinnati if I walk in the light. If I tell him the truth, what will he think? What will he think about me? What will he think about Jesus? What will he think about pastors? What will he think about church people? better for me just to probably let him keep that assumption, right? No. If I walk in the light, then I have nothing to fear. And walking in the light is me saying to him, well, actually, I only have the job of responding to you. And I didn't. I only have one job. I... I'm thankful I only have one job, and I still didn't respond to you. And so I'm, I'm actually sorry. There's, there isn't, a, there isn't a, an excuse that makes this all go away. That's why I apologized. Think about the disciples. I mean, they are... They are just like us. They say, you can't go back there. It's going to be bad for you. It's going to be bad for your work. It's going to be bad for your ministry if you go back there. And Jesus is saying, oh, this, is, this is so that I may be glorified. And they're like, no, you'll end up dead. Can't be good. And then, because of their fear, you guys, This is the only explanation for their idiocy in the rest of this passage. Jesus tells them that Lazarus is dead, and they're like, oh, good, well, then he'll wake up. Because Jesus said he's fallen asleep. At that point, anybody who's paying attention knows what Jesus is saying when he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, I go to awaken him. All right. Why would he go wake him up if he had just fallen asleep in the physical sleeping sense? This is not a complex thing for us to understand any more than it was complex for the disciples to understand, and yet they're going, oh, good, you know, he fell asleep, great, then we don't have to worry anymore. Why are they saying that? Because they're looking desperately for an excuse to not have to go back into Judea. It's coloring their whole understanding of the world. Their fear is perverting their ability to think straight. But if they weren't afraid, they'd know exactly what he was saying. (laughs) 
Are you walking in the light? If you're walking in the light, there's nothing to be afraid of. Because you have the light of the world. And so you can go with boldness down the path of obedience to Jesus Christ. And you'll never get further ahead of him. His path is straight. His path is well lit. And he's always on it. You can't outstrip him in obedience. You can't get so far down the path of obedience that, like, now it's dangerous. Or now it's dark. The only way you end up on the path of darkness and, and tripping and falling on your face is by disobedience. So don't be afraid. Don't fear death. Don't fear consequences of obedience. Don't fear that God is a harsh taskmaster. Walk boldly with Jesus Christ, obeying him in all of your daily interactions with people, and you'll have nothing to be afraid of. Let's pray.